0: We are firmly into what is called the experience economy era. You know, the definition of products and services has switched to creating memories Mm -hmm. for people. Your new battleground becomes digital for acquiring, retaining and servicing customers. The one thing that starts becoming important is that memory, that experience you take away.
1: Welcome, friends, to the Growth Genius Podcast. My name is Kaushal Thakkar. I am the founder of Infidigit and your host for the show. The topic for today is creating digital growth via exceptional user experience. Our guest today is Saurabh Gupta, who is the co-founder at Zuex Innovation. Hi, Saurabh. Thank you so much for joining us on this particular show of the Growth Genius. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. Uh, Pleasure to be here and happy to spend this time with you talking about design which i always love to do so great to be here
1: thank you sorry of for the audience who may not be aware about you could you help us with your introduction
0: sure Koshal, i started my ux design journey at the national institute of design in Ahmedabad and back then user experience was a very unknown domain and commodity and you know so kind of started in it Very, very early, before things really were established in India. This was back in 2001, I would say, early 2000s. Then from then on, joined an American UX design firm, spent about a little more than a decade there, was running the India business for them. And then 2016, started Zooks Innovation, a full service digital focused UX consulting firm. And so that's what I'm busy with right now.
1: Great. And at Zuix you have multiple organizations like Discovery, Money Control, etc. Yes. yes. So, so how big is this particular organization now? We
0: are a total of about 30 designers and we've worked across domains and we have a, quite an eclectic mix of clients.
1: Great. That's nice. Sort of jumping onto the topic for today, how to create digital growth via exceptional user experience. Mm -hmm. Let me start with the first question which I have in mind for you, which is why is UX important?
0: You know, I get asked this question a lot, and I think it would be appropriate if I explain through an example. Sure, that would help. The world has evolved. You know, so if I take you back at 70, 80 years, if it was someone's birthday, Most people would just bake the cake from scratch, like at home, they would take the flour and the sugar and the eggs and all of that, put it together and bake a cake. So it was always a homemade cake. That was the highlight of what was called the agrarian economy era. Then a few decades later, we entered the industrial economy, where if I had to celebrate someone's birthday and I had to bake a cake, I could just buy a cake mix, a ready-made cake mix. And it came in a packet. You, you know, just open the packet and you maybe mix an egg in it, but it was much easier to do the baking. Then when the service economy era started, I didn't actually have to bake the cake myself. I could just go to a bakery and order the cake. In fact, they would deliver it to me as well. But today, if I have to think about celebrating my 10-year-old's birthday, I have to hire an event manager. Then he puts up a theme. Then he thinks of... All of the connected events and activities, and you know, the cake is actually just thrown in for free. And the point I'm making is we are firmly into what is called the experience economy era, where businesses are not selling cake anymore. You know, the definition of products and services has switched to creating memories Mm -hmm. for people. And when you're essentially your new battleground becomes digital for acquiring, retaining, and servicing customers the one thing that starts becoming important is that memory, that experience you take away because everybody has the, you know, the clean code and the fast servers and that doesn't make a difference anymore. So any digital focused company today that, and I think there's nobody who cannot afford to be digital. If they hope to stay relevant, then UX becomes their toolbox to really ensure that they're able to be relevant to their uh, consumers and to their target audience.
1: Really well said, uh, Saurabh. And uh, we enjoyed that journey in such a short time from the the past 70, 80 years. You really nailed that particular question. Any uh, best practices that you would recommend that the websites (laughs) for today should follow when they are digital in nature, website or the app, or whatever uh, you would like to speak on? But any best practices that you would suggest for our audience?
0: Yeah, there are many. And, you know, best practices in UX have traditionally come from two uh, domains. One is cognitive science. The other is human factors engineering, or you can call it ergonomics, and so on. Over the last 50 years, since the inception of this field, there are lots of thumb rules that have emerged in terms of how much choice is too much. How do people make decisions? How do you optimize for performance? How do you optimize for decision making and so on? I'll give you an example in terms of best practice which is extremely relevant today. One of the limitations of human beings is our short-term working memory limit. So research shows that most human beings can remember up to five things in their working memory. Mm -hmm. Give or take plus minus two. And if businesses continue to operate with the mindset that more choice is good, then they tend to actually make their experience subpar because what happens from a research standpoint and a UX standpoint to users is too much choice actually makes them freeze. So that's one example of a UX best practice that we employ in our work to make sure that we don't overwhelm users with too much choice, but actually starts becoming counterproductive. Okay. So that's one example. And there are many in terms of how you organize the navigation so that people are always aware of where they are, where they came from, and where they can go, which I also call location cues. So best practices around presentation. And, you know, there are so many things that research tells us around which colors human beings actually don't see well together, which colors present the right amount of contrast, how do we view shapes. Uh, an ex- interesting insight from readability is that yes. if you write in all caps, it yes. actually reduces reading speed by 20%, which is contrary to what most people might think that all caps actually enhances reading speed. So a lot of these interesting, sometimes counterintuitive thumb rules have actually been part of the UX field for a long time now.
1: Okay. Okay. So uh, now let's say when you are working on a particular UX project, let's consider it for a website. Mm-hmm. And when you look at this particular thing, what are the first few things? Navigations, presentations, readability is something which you already said. Mm-hmm. Uh, would there be anything more other than this which you would look out yes. at the first stage itself?
0: So, you know, we always start a UX design intervention with three questions, which are really, really critical to any ux transformation journey first question always is who is the customer and that has to be answered in as brief set of words as possible because if you need an essay or a paragraph to answer who is the customer then that tells me that there's not enough focus on and enough clarity on who the customer is and that's a sign that that's probably a root cause of a a lot of problems the second question is what is the offering And again, if that cannot be answered in a short, concise, concrete way, then you you know there's a problem. And the third question, which is probably the most important question, is why should that customer come to you? And so when we start any kind of design journey with these three three questions, it really sets the tone and the foundation for not only giving us the brief, but also as a diagnostic for us to understand how much clarity is there in the proposition that we are trying to change and if we ask these three questions to let's say five stakeholders in the same organization we get completely different answers Mm -hmm. then we know that first we need to do a lot of consensus building and clarity building rather than jump straight to the design
1: okay and when you say that okay we need to build in the consensus how would you go around doing that
0: So you would have multiple conversations with all key stakeholders and then our job is to actually play all that insight back and make people aware that there are so many differences in the things that actually should be aligned. Because we cannot make up the answers on the client's behalf. The answers have to be something that comes from them. We can only help them or moderate that process, right? And so what we do is we, you know, use a workshop kind of medium to bring all the stakeholders in on the same page. We kind of play back the findings and then we try to moderate them towards coming to one clear set of definitive concrete answers. And it's something that, you know, we really, really use regularly as a first step into any kind of design journey. We call it stakeholder visioning and it's, it's a, a very, very critical
1: first step. Take hold visioning, you said? Yes. Great. And uh, Saurabh, thanks for sharing that. You mentioned about a few of the best practices and one of the points which you mentioned was navigation. Mm-hmm. Any examples of navigation where navigation was a challenge on a particular website and you helped them in resolving it, which you would be able to share?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to really talk about navigation verbally. It's, it's, you know, it's best to talk about such things when there's a visual, but I would say there is no project that we've not had to optimize navigation in. Navigation is one of the most important pillars in user experience design. However, it's gone, you know, user experience design has gone through a transition where now navigation, at least on the mobile footprint, which is emerged as the primary footprint is not really about jumping through a set of tabs and menus, etc. Navigation is largely become scrolling through a infinite loading screen. So in that sense, navigation has become more standardized. What has emerged as the most important pillar now is content because once navigation becomes, you know, you're just scrolling down, mm-hmm. then it's less of a problem And that has become, if you think about it, it's become a de facto usage mode for Facebook, LinkedIn, WhatsApp, uh, anything you consume on the mobile, your essential behavior is your scrolling. You know, so that way, navigation has become less of of a problem. But I think it still continues to be a relevant principle when you're dealing with complex applications, especially on the desktop footprint. So as an example, I would say some of the banks that we usually work with, the ability to, you know, ensure that people get to the most frequent actions, such as doing a funds transfer, checking their bank statement, paying a bill in the least number of clicks. And in a way that's very clear where they are at any given point of time is the kind of examples of optimizations that we would typically do.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. You mentioned several other points like, let's say, readability or shapes, etc any real life example which you would share that hey this was even if you are not able to name the client that's Mm. fine but at least one journey while we are not able to see the screen in this particular case since we are on a podcast at least if you could take us through that particular journey that hey this particular website had this particular challenge and how it went
0: yeah no so there's an interesting example of project that you know i can name so we've been working with white hat junior for a long time And when they came to us, they had several requirements. One was to optimize the whole user interface that they had currently, and then to also increase their conversions and stickiness for the students. And so one aspect of the customer acquisition journey was this uh, signing up for a trial class because, you know, White Hat Junior basically teaches kids how to code. So the first Touch point was people would take a trial class if they liked the class then they would sign up for the paid version and so signing up for the trial class was challenging not only in terms of navigation but also in terms of the kind of information they were presenting people didn't know what they would get from the trial class the form was too long it was unclear and after they even select you know filled the form then they had to pick a slot for the trial class and the whole screen the way you would pick a date and time was, you know, was unnecessarily complex. Also, one aspect of that journey was you had to do a systems check to ensure that when you do take the class, you have all the system requirements on your laptop to be able to hear the teacher and, you know, run the class smoothly. And taking people through those steps, especially for people who may not be very tech savvy, was something that we really had to optimize and just make it simple, you know, next, 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 and you're done. And so those are some of the, I guess, simpler examples for me to just kind of verbally explain of, you know, how it really helped. Uh, besides that, of course, there were a whole bunch of things we did for White Hat, which led to some huge ROI.
1: Great. And that ROI could have contributed a lot to the recent acquisition by Baiju's for almost around 300 million.
0: Absolutely. And, and really? full credit to White Hat for doing that in a short span of 18 months from start of their startup journey to acquisition in a rapid 18 months was incredible. And I think half of that 18 months was, you know, our partnership with them on actually uh, helping revamp the whole experience framework. So, yeah, I think it it helped
1: a lot. And any measurable metrics which could be shared around White Hat Junior since we are sure, already.
0: Sure. I, I think, you know, so the metrics obviously uh, change based on the context, but specific to White Hat Junior, I think one metric was, how many people actually sign up for the trial class? How many people who sign up for the trial class actually show up for the trial class? Because every stage there is a drop-off potential, right? The people who show up for the trial class, how many of those actually become paid customers? Of those who become paid customers, how many actually renew? And the people who actually buy what is the average basket size or purchase value, All of these were metrics that showed massive improvement once we were done with our redesign and update.
1: Any percentages which you could share for any of those? So
0: these are actually all available on our website under the White Hat Junior case study that we've made publicly available. So anybody would like to see specific numbers. I think all of them were double digit percentages. Uh, So yeah, quite a substantial increase.
1: Nice, that's really good. And since we are speaking about the metrics, while you mentioned a few that, okay, each of the website would have their specific ways of measuring the output of a UX project, any specific generic metrics which would be applicable across all the websites, specifically when we speak about UX?
0: I think from a general standpoint, a metric that would apply to most sites is the average amount of time spent per session. Right now, in some cases, the average amount of time spent you want to reduce. And in some cases you want to increase depending on the context. Right. So if you're a micro task focused digital platform, you want people to come in and, you know, do their task and get out as soon as possible. If time is of the essence, then you want that average time to be as low as possible. But if you're a content platform, you want people to come and browse and spend time there, then increasing that average session time becomes more difficult. So, But the amount of time somebody is spending is a kind of a common denominator that I think most digital platforms would measure. Now, whether less is better or more is better is a question of context. Another metric that usually comes into question a lot is besides the time spent, conversion on the actual task that you want the user to do. Now, in some cases, the actual task might be buying something or purchasing something. And in other cases, it might be signing up for a form. In other cases, it might be applying for something. In other cases, it might be giving your email ID. Whatever your end goal action for the user is, we define that as a conversion metric. And it's usually measured in percentage. measure in terms of if 100 people came, how many people actually did the action you wanted them to take. And that usually becomes the ultimate bottom line indicator to judge the success of your experience and the outcome orientation.
1: That was good. And uh, most of the metrics over here uh, help a lot in terms of SEO as well. When we speak about right. uh, the average session time many users spends on this particular website or a particular website, it helps a lot in terms of SEO. And in fact, Google has made UX as one of the important factors for search engine rankings. So looking forward to days where UX and SEO goes hand in hand and uh, works towards a common objective of getting more visitors on the website as well. Absolutely. Great. Saurabh, any particular common mistakes that you see that most of the brands make in terms of UX or any example of a mistake which you would like to share?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, there are Lots of things that repeat themselves as mistakes that we often, you know, walk into a client situation and first warn people about, guys, okay, this is something that usually happens and we don't want you to do it. So what are those things? The first thing is, you know, there's still, you know, I think a lot of notion that, oh, we don't really need to do the research. It's okay. We, We already know who our users are. I'll give you the insight. And there's no point actually spending time in direct user contact or user testing. I mean, the they feel that we should just start designing. And there is no need for that research and validation step. I think that's a really wrong notion because it happens to the best designers too, right? When you are designing something, just because you're so close to the design, everything seems obvious to you. And it's important that even the best well-intentioned designers and stakeholders... Don't design in a vacuum. Take a step back and go out there, show it to a pair of fresh eyes and ideally the end user and ask them that, is it as obvious to you as it is to us? And be humble about taking that feedback and ultimately be willing to throw out the design if the answer is no. I think that's the first thing that people tend to shortcut. And I I wish that they would stop treating this important step as optional. User-centered design, the hallmark of that process is direct user contact. Otherwise, it's not user-centered. That's the number one mistake. It's less and less now. I think earlier, people were not very aware of the process, but I think people are particular about the fact that these steps are sacrosanct and we can't skip them. Okay. The second thing that tends to happen is you know, what we call a moving target syndrome, where the brief keeps changing every now and then. You know, and design tends to get stuck in this iteration loop, which is never ending because a lot of design tends to become subjective. I think there is a point at which, you know, some projects just slide into this vicious cycle where we are just iterating and, you know, time after time after time. And after a long time, you might end up actually at iteration one back where you started from. But the thing is that loses a lot of time and it creates a lot of frustration in the team and Those kinds of things are not very productive. And I think there has to be a broad process around how you do the right amount of iteration. Because, you know, also, I think some iteration is good. But when it Mm -hmm. gets too much, it becomes a problem. The third problem is that if you don't involve the technology teams or the SEO teams in the design process in the beginning. Because if those flags are not highlighted early enough, if that input is not part of the design process... And if it comes in too late, then it's very hard to build that in. And also then, you know, your beautiful, amazing design might actually never really get implemented because the constraints were not taken into consideration. So I think these are the three types of mistakes that I typically see being made. And if people were to avoid these in particular, I think the chances of UX success on any kind of project would be much higher.
1: Great. Thanks for sharing it in such a simple terms with those three major mistakes which brands make. Sure. So you work on multiple domains. So while I was going through your LinkedIn profile, I saw you work for Discovery, Money Control, ICICI Bank, Access Bank, Vodafone, various different domains. Yeah. Would the UX strategies and activities change as per the domain?
0: You know, that's a great question, Kaushal. So, you know, the process remains the same. But the, the strategies that you employ to acquire users in a particular industry is obviously differ because the digital landscape, how intense the competition is, what level of user experience is considered hygiene, is different across different places. So, telecom has a certain kind of digital competitiveness, e commerce has a different kind of standing. Insurance has different, banking has different. And so the context really makes a difference. So in some cases where, you know, digital has already evolved to a certain point, then if you really we need to win in the market, then obviously you need to employ different strategies. But in other domains, UX might still be a bit of a laggard, then you might need to, because what strategies you employ really are in context of what your competitive landscape looks like. So in that sense, the strategies change. The process should remain the same. The aspect of ensuring that you have a research and validation step, that you have all the stakeholder visioning related activities, the design activities, all of those I think are standard and you, we must follow that irrespective.
1: Understood. In terms of UX, when you, let's say, initiate a particular project with a bank or any other website or an app, usually what's the time frame of the project?
0: It varies a lot, actually depending on what is the actual intervention they're looking for. If it's a very kind of micro task focused kind of app and they want us to make an incremental change, it could, you know, be anything around four to six weeks. If it's a major overhaul and revamp, it could go up to two years even, sometimes more. So yeah, you know, it massively varies depending on the size and scope of what you're trying to change. But I, I would say as a thumb rule, if I was to say 80% of the time, what's the duration of our engagements, they vary between 8 to 12 weeks.
1: Okay. And for someone who is very new to digital, would like to make UX as their career, mm-hmm. what would be your suggestions to those people? You know, just like any profession, I like to say
0: that there are three E's to becoming a UX expert. Mm-hmm. The first E is education, right? So having a formal education in human computer engineering, user experience, design, ergonomics, even to some extent architecture or psychology really helps build that foundation. The second E is experience. I mean, there's no substitute for it. And the ability to actually Do true user centered design work. Now, when I say experience, you know, a lot of people misunderstand that user experience design experience also means if I've done design without any kind of user research or validation experience. No, that's not actual true UX experience. True UX experience means you've actually had the opportunity to follow the entire process. You've been a researcher, you've been a tester, you've also designed, and you've been a UX generalist. That's true experience. And the last is exposure. The ability to have actually worked with the best or even have had exposure of the best people in the industry to the relevant conferences, material, best in class design references. So, but I think the key is that all these three are not in equal proportion. 10% is really the education. And this might be a surprise to many people. Wow, how is it that education only accounts for this much? Well, that's the reality because... You know, in design, there is no value of learning academic concepts. Mm -hmm. Design actually only fructifies in your mind as a process once you do it. Just like you can't read math, you can't read design. You have to get your hands dirty. So 10% is the educational foundation. 70% is the experience. And the remaining 20% is the exposure. So that's really how I would break it down for anybody who wants to switch. Now, somebody might say, hey, I don't have the formal education degree. Well, today, the good news is there are lots of great accelerated programs out there offered by a lot of the education platforms uh, at a very reasonable price. Some are better than the others. And I think it's that's a good place to start. And I would suggest that you choose an organization to get real user UX experience that actually follows truly the UX process if you really want to make a break into that domain and rise above the pack, then make sure you get experience with companies that do all the related user-centered design activities.
1: Mm-hmm. And would a company like yours be hiring this freshers or interns?
0: Yes, we do. We don't take too many interns because, you know, the we like to employ people on real client projects from day one. And we feel that that's where the real learning comes from. And, you know, one of the things that really holds us back with interns is we can't do that. So then then they just have to be given kind of internal things. And I don't think that's good for the intern or for us. So interns is something we take off and on. But yes, we are very open to taking passionate people. Uh, Of course, we have our own uh, assessment very robust assessment process where people have to go through a design assessment and, Great. Uh, and so on. But yes, we're looking for people who have, you know, the passion for solving complex UX design problems.
1: Great. Thanks for sharing. Sort no, Google recently announced that user experience is going to become a Google ranking factor and it terms it as the core web vitals metrics mm. which is going to become more and more important into 20 from 2021. We don't know the exact date from where it will start affecting the rankings of the websites. But some of the factors within which it has mentioned is that, okay, the speed is important and largest contentful paint which happens Hmm. on a particular website should occur really fast. They're expecting it to happen within 2.5 seconds or so. Now, the usual challenge which the UX team and the SEO team when they're working together is while well, the UX team may require more elements to come on the page and other things to happen. At the same time, the SEO team would be behind this page speed.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Right. That, hey, I want more content, more textual content, but I want the page to load faster. Mm. Any best practices or any suggestions you have to resolve this particular thing which would also help in ensuring that the website becomes more compliant for the new algorithms which google is working on as of now
0: sure so kaushal you probably you know in better position to actually advise on this than i am but i my two cents on this kaushal would be that see there will always be these kind of contradictions between what the design team demands versus what the seo team requires for instance in essence up till now the design team would always approach interface by saying less is more let's put less content let's try to say everything in as least number of words as possible but the seo team would say guys more is more if you don't have those words in there how will the crawler actually find you yes but i think the (laughs) the answer is not on either of these sides of this continuum. The answer lies in in the balance-centered approach somewhere in the happy middle. And I think that's the same thing that needs to happen when it comes to page speed versus adding more elements. I think you can add more elements as long as a design team is aware of the fact that you want to keep the page weight as low as possible. You want to use SVGs. You want to compress images. You don't want to be frivolous and gratuitous with just putting elements for the sake of putting elements. They have to serve a purpose and they have to keep the big picture in mind that the end goal of a design is not just to look pretty, but also load fast. And I think if everybody is aligned to the larger objectives, for any web platform today, one of the key objectives is to be visible, then I think there should be no reason why these sometimes contradictory notions can't be balanced together in kind of this perfect harmony to create something that not only looks great, reads well, but also loads fast.
1: Perfect. So now we move on to the next section where we would like to know more about you, about the Growth Genius. mm mm-hmm. Who do you follow? You know, I feel like,
0: you know, as a designer, my inspiration comes from observing life in general. It can come from sports. It can come from music. It can come from philosophy. It can come from spirituality. And I think as a designer, you owe it to yourself to not be close to any one aspect of life and to be open to all. Because design and innovation is about connecting the dot between apparently disconnected things. Mm -hmm. It's my job to take the superficially disconnected things and connect them in new ways. Mm -hmm. And so I deliberately seek out new experiences, new connections, new inspiration sources. If you were to ask primarily... You know, what is my source of design inspiration? I would say I read a lot of philosophy and spirituality literature simply because I feel design and spiritual evolution have the same end goal. The end goal is to create pleasant experiences. Wow. Right? If the end goal is the same, then both can borrow from each other's processes. Mm-hmm. right? Because when we say experience... Whatever you might design in the interface, the feeling you're left with is left in with the user in his mind. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for, you know, how anybody goes through a spiritual evolution process. They ultimately want to leave you with happy experiences that lead to happy emotions of positive emotions that's one thing that i have for you know found a lot of parallels with the other would be of course music i'm also a musician so i feel process of composing music and the process of interface design is the same you basically i mean in music you have about seven or eight core notes and you combine them in multiple permutations and combinations to create billions of melodies and the same is true for uh, for interface design. It's the same core four or five elements. The amount of visual differences you can see in the billions of websites or apps that are out there is unbelievable.
1: Nice. I believe after listening to this, many musicians would opt for UX as...
0: <laughs> I hope so. I, I think we need more musicians in the UX field.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Thanks. And... Uh... Sir, so you have grown really well from the time where you had just started and you're working at Human Factors yes. as a usability specialist mm-hmm. to today where you are heading this particular organization as a yes. co-founder. Yes. What makes you remain so growth-focused?
0: I think I've been lucky, Kaushal. I've definitely had the right opportunities show up at the right time. But, you know, I would quote Narayan Murthy. I think somebody asked him once, what do you attribute a success to, hard work or luck? He says, well, the harder I work, the luckier I get. So I would say that it's kind of the same with me. I I think I've always loved, I think the first thing that I would attribute whatever I've achieved so far to is that I absolutely love doing user experience design. It's something that I eat, breathe, sleep, talk, and I devote myself completely to it. And when you love your work, then, you know, there is never a moment where you feel burdened by it. You give it your hundred percent. And I think that's been really uh, something that I feel is is the secret, at least for me, that I, I just happen to be in a profession that I love. I love solving design problems and making end users delighted by technology, decluttering technology and making it more humane and ultimately to give people a more positive experience of life at the end of the day.
1: Well said. So if you could time travel at this particular minute, what suggestions would you give to your younger self at the start of the career?
0: When I was in school, I was in one of the top schools in Delhi, Delhi Public School. And it was known as a school which had basically all the 90 percenters and the toppers, academic toppers all used to come from there. And I know I remember being kind of the outcast because I was the musician and the sports guy and the design guy and the creative guy. And I I felt really out of place. And I think, you know, it, it maybe at that point in time made me question, there's something that... I can do well as well because I, you know, at that time it was all like, if you're not one of the 90 percenters, you you know, you're not cut out for any kind of success in life. So I would go back in time to myself in that school. And I would say, don't worry about it. You know, the amount that you will learn from music and from being on the sports field is going to teach you a lot more than sitting in classroom reading books. So I would just tell myself, Just do what you're doing, don't worry.
1: Great. Thanks for sharing that. So now we move on to the speeded round and I would request you to keep your answers short. Sure. Okay. Any quote that you live by? The quality of
0: your questions define the quality of your life.
1: Thanks. If not UX, what would you be doing? Musician. Oh, that was a no-brainer. Which one daily habit has been a game-changer for you? Meditation. Oh, nice. Any specific meditation which you would like to name?
0: So I started out with transcendental meditation and then I moved to Isha Yoga. And so right now I think I do a mashup of my own, which I don't think any teacher would recommend, but (laughs) that's what I do.
1: That's nice. That's the same with me as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. One thing that you would like to correct in your life?
0: I think I would like to have 10 times more energy to do 10 times more things than I do already.
1: Isha, yoga will help you with that. (laughs) Yes,
0: I I think it will. Definitely.
1: Let's define Saurabh Gupta in one word. Student.
0: I I think I would just want to be a learner for life. I never want to be at a point where I I have this know-it-all attitude yeah yeah, have been there done that no i think that's the one thing I, I definitely constantly am aware of not arriving at should be a, a constant journey of seeking
1: well said sort of that's about the speeded round we would like to know how can the audience stay connected with you
0: the best way to reach out to me is on linkedin You can just pop a message in i i'm pretty good at responding and Post that, you know, we might exchange uh, coordinates, then of course, phone, email, etc. But if there is also our website where you can just drop a line to just, you know, chat and meet and we'd be very happy to to have that conversation and and collaborate. We're always open Thank to you. anything new and exciting.
1: of uh, we learned a lot today, not only about the UX, but yes, um, much more around how to be a better person in life when we speak of spiritual. And I especially enjoyed that particular connection between spirituality and UX. So that's something, the pleasant experience. I don't think those words are going out from my mind (laughs) in the next few weeks, that how both of these create a pleasant experience. So it was a really nice session. Any parting thoughts that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I think
0: that, you know, user experience is at a tipping point where, you know, I think the true UX leaders are going to leave the laggards really far behind, especially with the COVID, you know, impact. I think digital is here to stay. Anybody on the fence with that, I think needs to, this is probably a big wake up call for them. So my parting thoughts would be like, you know, if you're jumping onto the digital bandwagon, take time to be deliberate about your experience because it really matters.
1: Understood. Really well said. Thanks. Saurabh, it was a pleasure having you on this particular show. Thank Thanks you for a lot. me. Gosh, it was a pleasure. Thanks a pleasure. lot for being here. Thanks. Have a good day. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the growth genius. I hope you learned something today that would help you to grow. If you did, Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you're listening to this on the InfraDigit website, I would request you to use the podcast app on iPhone or download Google Podcast or Spotify on your Android phone. Subscribing to this podcast will ensure that you get the episodes regularly on your phone. The podcast icons near the audio streaming widget on the InfraDigit website should help you to navigate to the show on your podcast app also if you haven't yet please subscribe to the growth genius show wherever you are listening to this podcast thank you so much for listening now go out there and create growth for yourself and your company thank you